Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today, and if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Uh, this morning we're going to actually do what we normally do on first night, and that is we're going to talk through, uh, we're going to teach on prophets um, and prophecy. Some of you have uh, heard this and know this well. Some of you don't know this at all. You're coming from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different religious backgrounds, um, which is really good. And uh, here's where you might have a lot of disagreements or you might have a lot of questions. So I want to let you know that, um, and I, I always joke around with you, of course, and probably some of you are still trying to get my sense of humor. Don't worry, the students uh, in school ministry takes many of them like three months to... And then I'm not saying they like my sense of humor, but at least they know I'm joking. <laughs> so, um, but uh, I, I want to say that um, it's okay to disagree here. So if you, you have a question that's a disagreement, as long as you do it honorably, obviously. I think it's beautiful when people of diversity can come together and we don't have to agree. But I think sometimes our, the questions we have... Um, again, you may say, well, I don't agree with that. And maybe it's just because you don't have all the background. And then maybe it's because after you hear the argument for uh, what we believe, you're like, no, I still don't agree. And I'm, I'm like, I just want you to know, that's totally good. Our job isn't to convince you. Our job is to inspire you. Holy Spirit's job to convince you. So um, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to begin um, here talking about the difference between the gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet. For some of you, this will just be really good, um, a good refresher, because you, you know this stuff. Um, why, don't you, why don't we go to verse 1? We'll start here. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. Before we go on, I'd like to propose to you that although we're going to use this passage and uh, this, this text to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Actually, Paul, is, his emphasis in this passage is not actually the gifts of the Spirit. If you go to verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, um, if you look at your Bible, uh, the word gifts should be italicized because it's actually not in the original text. So it actually reads like this, Now concerning the, the spiritual, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. And you'll notice that he goes on to say, You know when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore no one, not, no, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go on, I want to explain this passage because uh, if you're like me, I've read those, uh, those verses many times and ha have no idea what those first few verses mean. Um, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Why is, uh, why is context important here? Because he's writing to people who were raised in Greek mythology. And so you're going to notice that there's a common word throughout this text, and I'll read it in just a moment. But he's, he's talking to people who would not have known any, any kind of Christian, Judeo-Christian faith whatsoever. So, for example, these people would have not grown, grown up knowing who Adam and Eve were. I mean, they wouldn't even know the story. Are you following me? They wouldn't know the popular stories of the Old Testament, David and Goliath. They wouldn't have known who Moses is. 
So these people would have known who Hercules is, Artemis, you know, all they would have known the Greek gods. They were they were taught as children in in Greek mythology. So they would have no idea like what we take for granted, especially in the Western and Europe, European world, uh, in in, uh, in our world that we grew up in. Um, you know, we take for granted that pretty much everybody knows who Adam and Eve is, even though they may not believe in it. They actually would at least know the story. They would know the most popular stories uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, David and Goliath, again, probably many wouldn't believe it, but they would still know what you kind of believe. These people would have no exposure at all to any of that. So now, these people who they receive Jesus... They're having spiritual experiences, but they're actually, but they're, so they have the right experience, but their theology is totally wrong. So um, I want to read you and see if you can kind of pick it up in the story. Now, there are various gifts, but the same Spirit. Everybody say, same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. Everybody say, same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God. Everybody say, same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the same Spirit. Everybody say, same Spirit. To another, word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Everybody say, same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. Verse 11. But one and the... Same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. What's the common active word there? The word same. Why is He saying same, 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 same? Eight times He uses the word same. Because He's he's describing to the Greeks how the spirit world actually works. So in their world, so this is what they think. They think that the one person has the word of wisdom, that's one God. Another person has the word of, of faith, that's another God. Another person has the, 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 the gift of healing, that's another God. Another person has the gift of, of prophecy, that's another God. Because they have taken the laws of physics and they have superimposed them over the spirit world. So they, they, they think, like most people would think in, in this realm, they think, well, a God can't be in two places at the same time. Therefore, if this person's ministering by God, the word of wisdom, there's no way that person who's ministering in prophecy could simultaneously be ministering. They must have a different God. And Paul is teaching them the way the spirit will actually works. It's kind of funny in my mind, in, even in, in, our, in, you know, in the Western culture, the way that we actually accept this, this, this uh, concept of God. I mean, even if you're not a Christian, you kind of have the idea that one God is in everyone. So, you know, we say these things that are kind of funny to me. If you think them out, we go, I, I feel like God's in a good mood. And I'd propose that God's in many moods simultaneously. That he's not human. And so he's weeping with the person who's lost a child. Well, he's grieving over the person who's lost their faith. Well, he's rejoicing over the person who just found faith. He's doing a miracle over here while he's giving a prophecy over there, all simultaneously happening through probably around three billion people simultaneously moving in God, the same God. He's having a personal relationship with Daniel while he's currently having a personal relationship with me. He's answering his prayer while he's answering my cry and so on and so forth. And we don't even 
I don't know very many Christians that say, I struggle with that. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say I struggle with that. And yet the Greeks would very much struggle with that because they had multiple gods because they couldn't imagine the concept that God could be everywhere having a relationship with everybody simultaneously. Are you following me? So this, this passage is actually supposed to be about how the spirit world works in that God works in everybody simultaneously. He's a big God. He multitasks. He's more brilliant than the most brilliant computer. He can do one thing while he's doing another. You can get on the internet and someone's buying something over here or somebody's selling something over here or someone's looking up information over here and we never think twice about that this internet is all answering all these people's questions at the same time. And I'm saying this is kind of Paul's explanation to the Greeks who have now become believers, no, there's actually only one God and one Holy Spirit, and He's working in all of you all at the same time. But we're going to ascertain a different part of this. It's the secondary kind of teaching that Paul, I don't think he intended, but how many know the Scripture has many dimensions? So we're going to talk about prophecy. And so let's go over to uh, chapter 14 now for just a minute. And he says this, well, in the middle of these two chapters, and remember, these weren't chapters, this was a letter to the Corinthians. So I I like that we broke it up into chapters so we can explain where we're at in the text. But sometimes we we read it as as chapters, as if Paul wrote them chapters, and I'd propose he wrote them one letter, and it flowed in one train of thought. It wasn't broke up like 12, 13, 14, verse, you know, you get the idea. And so it's interesting that in, his, in the midst of Paul talking about the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12, he uh, talks about love immediately in between chapter 12 and chapter 14. I guess I'm trying to say that I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are the love language of God. <laughs> when someone gets prophesied over, they should feel kissed by God. When someone gets healed, how many know they should be, feel embraced by God? I think that when you minister the gifts of the Spirit and people don't experience love, I don't think we've done it the right way. And by the way, we've all done it the wrong way. <laughs> I think Paul's point in putting love in between these two chapters on power is that everything needs to be motivated by compassion and by love. and it needs, These are all expressions of the love of God. And so Paul writes in the 14th chapter, well, first we should maybe make a note. If you speak in tongues of men and angels but do not have love, you become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If you have the gift of prophecy, knowing all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And it goes on like that. And the reason, of course, he's mentioning mentioning, uh, prophecy and and, and power is because that's what these these chapters are about. Okay, verse 14, chapter 14. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So some people may say, like, I, I, I just want the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things I'm going after. I'd propose that this is not, that this is, this is, that God is not asking you, He's telling you. Like, this is a command, not a suggestion. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Are you with me at all? Like, I'm saying, he's writing to all believers. He's not saying charismatic believers. He's saying, 
You should love, but you should still earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I can't tell you how many times you write things on social media about power and people remind you it's really about love. Well, power is an expression of the love of God. And it would be a real bummer to love somebody, see them in trouble, and not have any gifts to do anything. How many understand these gifts are not for you, they're for the people who need them? So, it, you know, it feels like, you're like, I don't really want to move in healing. I mean, I just want love. Well, that's the point. When you see somebody sick, you get to do the works of Jesus, which is heal the sick. The, heal, the gift of healing isn't for you. You may have the gift of healing, but it's for the person who's sick. Prophecy isn't for you. It's for the person who needs guidance and encouragement. We'll talk about it in a minute. You get the idea. So, the one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for, here we go, edification, exhortation, and consolation. Paul goes on to say, uh, in verse 5, he says that when, when we speak in prophecy, everybody is edified. In verse 12, he says, So since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Verse 17, he says that the person should be edified. In fact, he says here, If you give thanks in tongues, no one's edified because they can't understand what you're saying. In verse 26, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. He says, What is the outcome? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, has an interpretation, let all things be done for... Edification. For verse 31, you can all prophesy one by one that you may all be edified or exhorted. The point would be this. The the gift of prophecy, and we're going to talk about other gifts, but mostly prophecy today, because he said earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. What is the gift of prophecy for? It's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. In fact, Paul says five times in this, in this one chapter that people should be edified, 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 edified. In other words, when you prophesy, they should be exhorted, they should be comforted, and they should be built up. So uh, uh, exhortation means to call near, uh, consolation means to comfort, and, uh, and edification means to build them up. It's, uh, people should be built up. What, let's um, talk about the gift of prophecy. So right now we're talking about the gift of prophecy. I'll be over here talking about the gift of prophecy. And over here we'll talk about the office of a prophet in a couple of minutes. The gift of prophecy is a gift. <laughs> okay, you should just think through that for a moment. It's called a gift of prophecy because it's a gift. You didn't earn it. It's not a sign that you're spiritual. That you have great character. I'm saying some of the most gifted people have the worst character. Forty years of doing this, I can tell you that people moving in power don't necessarily have the fruit of the Spirit. Are you with me? So the fruit of the Spirit, there are, there are nine uh, fruits of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5. There are nine gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. How many of you know if you want a balanced life, you want the fruit of the Spirit and you want the gifts of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is a sign that you're actually growing in the Spirit. In other words, how do I know if I'm maturing? You're growing patient. You're growing kinder. You're growing in gentleness. You're growing in love. Those are signs that the Holy Spirit is working on you. (laughs) Right? But the Holy Spirit working through you is not a sign of maturity. 
Th- this means a lot to me because sometimes we find people that have really terrible doctrine and they're moving in the gifts of the Spirit and we go, well, that must be a false spirit. I'd propose that the Corinthians were moving in terrible doctrine, probably didn't have a great character, and they were the most spiritual church in the New Testament. So because someone can move in miracles doesn't mean you should follow them. Also, because you move in, just because you move in miracles doesn't mean that you have a great relationship with God. Okay, we'll talk about it. So, the gift of prophecy is to build up, to call near, and to cheer up, cheer people up. The primary gift, of, uh, the goal of prophecy is that the church would be encouraged. Um, that's a good word. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, um, you'll notice that the people of God, the Holy Spirit falls on these people. They all speak in tongues, begin to prophesy. And Peter uh, hears this. People are like, they're drunk. There's something wrong with them. And Peter stands up and said, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. But this is what the prophet Joel spoke of. And he begins to quote, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even upon your bond servants in those days will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. How many know that revival doesn't have a gender, your sons and daughters? It doesn't have a generation, old men and young men, and it doesn't have a social class, even upon your bond servants. How many know that God wants to pour out his spirit on everyone? He wants the Holy Spirit poured on everyone, and he wants to, and and the sign, one of the signs, one of the most prominent signs that the Holy Spirit is poured out on a group of people is that they what prophesy. Okay. Um, the difference between prophets and prophecy. There are, it takes three things to have a ministry. You should write this down: a gift, a calling. And an anointing. A gift, a calling, and an anointing. By the way, you got, did you get the basic training manual? Did everyone get? Okay, this, this is in that, in that manual. Your gift gives your ability. Your calling gives your identity. And your anointing gives you your purpose. Let me say it again. Your gift gives your ability. Your calling gives your identity. And your anointing gives you your purpose. Are you with me? Okay. Why, uh, let me give you some scripture. First uh, Corinthians one one. Paul says, "Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ." Um, Isaiah sixty one. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news. Let me let me just uh, and let me just kind of define this. So my gift gives me my ability. If I get my identity from my gift instead of my call. I'm going to have performance-based identity. So the gift of prophecy is not a call. It's not called the calling of prophecy. It's the gift of prophecy, and it's something you do, not something you are. Are you following me? And I'll give you some more scriptures in a minute. But the prophet, the office of a prophet, is not something I do. It's something I am. 
If I am called to be a prophet or a prophetess, it's something I am, not something I do. It's a calling. It doesn't mean I don't prophesy. I'm saying that the difference between the gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet is that the office of a prophet is something I am. It is pe- it's part of my identity. Are you with me? Okay, over here, it says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. How many understand that I am exhorted to actually prophesy? It's not something God chooses. It's something I choose. I go after God, the Holy Spirit. How do I get to get the prophecy? I ask for it. Over here, this is a calling. It's not something I do. It's something I am. And I don't choose the call. God chooses it. There is no exhortation anywhere in the Bible, earnestly desire to be a prophet. It's not, it's not a career. It's a calling. Are, are you with me? So, so there's a call, there's a gifting and anointing. According to Romans eleven twenty nine. the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. So once God gives you a, the gift of prophecy, or once He gives you the gift of healing, or whatever gift... And how many understand you have it forever for life? And you can use it whenever you want. <laughs> this kind of messes some people up. It's like, can I prophesy over someone anytime? Yes, you can. Well, I thought it was a gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, but He lives in you all the time. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's always willing to encourage, exhort, and comfort people. We tend to be the, the, the you know... We tend to be the bottleneck. So what I'm getting at is, yes, you can minister to somebody anytime you want because the gift is always in you. Now, what is the, uh, so the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. But how many understand that the anointing, remember the, the calling, your, your gift gives you your ability, your calling gives you your identity, your anointing gives you your purpose. Wherever you see the word anointing, you're going to see something to do. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me. And now there's all of these verses to speak the good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted. In other words, it's the anointing on our lives that actually creates a sense of purpose. I can be a prophet, but how many know when I'm anointed, that tells me what I'm, where I'm supposed to prophesy, where I'm supposed to lead. Are you with me? So the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, but the, but the anointing ebbs and flows with my relationship with God. How many know the Lord is always in me, but He's not always on me? Are, are you with me at all? So what I'm getting at is, is some, I, people write all the time, and they say things like, you know, the Lord gave me this gift of prophecy, and I was moving in it for years, and now it feels like He's taking it away. Sorry, unbiblical. You, you, you're probably the problem. I, I feel like the Lord is not anointing me. Well, that might be true because the anointing depends on your relationship with God, but not the gift. Now, the most fun is when I am, I'm operating out of my gift and I'm anointed. Most of the time, listen, if you're a Pentecostal, how many of you grew up in a Pentecostal background? Yes, in a Pentecostal background, like I grew up in, you prophesied when the Spirit came on you. 
We, like, we felt like we had to do it now. Like, the anointing is on my life, and i got to stand up and interrupt the preacher because I'm in the unction, bro. <laughs> and all the people who are brought up in any other movement don't have any idea what we're talking about. But it's like, you know, we would say things like, the hair on my back of my head standing up, like I got the Holy Spirit bumps. It's like, I got to shut up. And I grew up in a culture where, like, this is how we ministered. We only knew how to minister out of the anointing. So when the anointing was on us, we felt like we had to do it now. It's, it's like, and yet Paul says uh, that the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, just because you feel anointed doesn't mean you have to do it now. And just because you have no anointing doesn't mean that you can't move in the gift. Obviously, the best is when you're gifted and anointed. I remember years ago when Pastor Bill first came to our church, our little church of 40 people in the mountains, Assembly of God Church, very Pentecostal Assembly of God Church. Before, we came, before Bill came, I was there about a year before Bill came, and we had... Um, uh, we had Grandma Kale. And Grandma Kale, she was a, a fairly large woman. And we always knew if the spirit was moving because Grandma Kale would get up and prophesy. And she, uh, she always spoke in tongues first and then she would give a word. And, and she would, like, and so it, it kind of went like this. Like, so we'd be worshiping or the preacher, preacher be preaching. It didn't matter because... When the Holy Spirit came on her, she had to just do it right then. So often it was interrupting the preacher. And she'd stand up and she'd start, she'd yell like that, you know, and we're like, oh, gosh, we were worried the Holy Spirit hadn't shown up all morning. And she basically had three themes. Ben knows, Ben grew up in this church. Ben was a little boy when this happened, though. And she had three things, themes, three themes. She didn't like movies. She didn't like she didn't like women uh, that wore makeup. <laughs> yeah, and I forget what the third one was. I'll think of it in a minute. But and she would rotate the themes. Like every week, she would change the theme up. So so it'd go like shut up, boy, shut up, boy, and then she'd do that for li- literally like a minute and a half. Then she'd say, "The Lord says unto you today that if He cometh back and you are in the movies." That you shall be left behind. Like the virgins that had no oil. And she'd have this mix it up. And the next week she'd be like, And the Lord says to those Jezebel women, Thou shalt not wear makeup and cover the image of God. And she would do this. It was kind of funny. And we were like, Wow, spirit moved today. So I remember, I think Bill was, I think it might have been the first Sunday, but for sure by the second Sunday, Bill was preaching. Bill, Bill doesn't really preach. He just kind of stands behind the podium and talks, which we had never seen anybody like have any content without yelling. <laughs> Bill says people yell when they don't have content. So, so Bill would still stand behind the podium and he's, and he's sharing. And all of a sudden, I hear, like, oh boy, here we go. So she interrupts Bill's preaching, and I don't remember what her first theme was that morning. 
But she stands up and she's like, and the Lord says unto you today, you know, whatever that was, you know. And she's like, yada yada and she gets shaken and she was so heavy that she would shake for a few minutes after she was done being anointed. So she did that three Sundays in a row. And the third Sunday, Bill um, said, listen, um, before she got up, Bill said, uh, this is the way we're going to do prophetic words for the next while. If you have a prophetic word, write it down and send it forward. And if I feel like it's something that should be given this morning, then I'll, I'll let you share it. Well, how many know you cannot shamba in writing? So, anyway, she shambled, and then Bill had the elders carry her out. <laughs> it was very funny. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was very funny. Because it took six guys to lift her. And... Sorry, I, I'm myself overweight, so <laughs> no condemnation, but... Picked her up and she's vertical, uh, she's horizontal and she's still prophesying. Shut up, and you know we had those low windows on the typical, and you could see see her going all the way out to the car. Shut up, get her out in the parking lot. Anyway, ruined her ministry. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You you get to manage your world. The Holy Spirit doesn't take you over. Um, so let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment, and let's talk about prophets. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we'll start from verse 7. To each one of us, grace was given. Everybody say grace. Was given according to the measure of, help me, Christ's gift. You have to read your Bibles, folks. Here we go. Ready? Verse 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Okay. In your Bible, that should be capitalized or italicized that verse 8, because Paul is making a point that Christ gave gifts to men. Are you following me? Okay, now remember, there is no New Testament yet. They're writing the New Testament. So Paul takes an Old Testament verse that says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. What is Paul's point? Christ gave gifts to men. Are you with me? Okay, so now he goes on to, to, to say or explain to you that although it doesn't say Jesus gave gifts to men, that Paul's going to prove to you scripturally that he who gave gifts to men is actually Jesus. Are you with me? So the next verse says, now this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except for he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? That he, uh, the lower parts of the earth. He who ascended is himself. He who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. His only point is, is that the he in that Old Testament scripture, is Jesus. Are you with me? Okay, and then it goes on to say, that, so it, let's read it the way it was written without the explanation. To each one of us, grace, everybody say grace. grace. 
There's a reason I'm having you repeat that. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. To build up the body of Christ, I'm sorry, but... Um, I'm sorry, he, uh, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of service until we all attain the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to a, to a mature man, to the measure of the statute which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Let's stop for a minute before it gets too complicated. How long did he give the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher? Because we have a whole group of people who think that there are no prophets, there, all, there are no apostles, there's only pastors, teachers, and evangelists. It says that he gave them until. Until what? Until we all attain the unity of faith to the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the statute which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In simple terms, he gave the apostle, prophet, and the evangelist, pastor, and teacher until we all look like a mature Christ. I propose that we're still not. So how long did he give them for? Until we all attain the unity of faith. Now, what is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher? What is their, their duty? What is their role? To, they are to equip the saints to do the work of service. Are you guys, you're staring at me, I don't know what this means. I don't know if this means we're bored, we know this, or wow, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or everything in between. So, he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of service. Let's stop. Okay, lots of people are like, I want to be a prophet. I want to be an apostle. Do you realize that those people are equipping the people who are actually doing the work? So, like, it's not a glorious job. The apostle and the prophet are the foundation of the church. That's, the pe- that's where everyone walks on. Everyone should get bigger than them. This is the foundation. You know, nobody comes over to my house and goes, let's look at the foundation. They all want to see what's built on it, right? I mean, I've never brought anybody over and said, let's, man, you need to see this foundation. It is, you've never seen concrete like this. The, the point I'm trying to make is if the Lord calls you to it, it's amazing, but it's not something you're trying to attain to. It's not the highest, the pinnacle of the, uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit temple. It's the foundation that people build on. And the goal of the apostle and prophet, we're talking about prophets today, so let's keep it there. The goal of the prophet is to equip the saints to do the work of service. So the goal of prophets is not to prophesy. The ultimate goal of prophets in the New Testament isn't to prophesy. It's to equip the whole body of Christ to prophesy. For everybody to move in the power of God and the love of God. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so um, the, let, let's go back to verse 7. But to each one of us, help me, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 12. Now, are you with me? Okay. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm answering the question you haven't asked yet. And that is, what do the apostles, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, what do they equip the saints with? Are you with me? So the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, they equip the saints. But what do they equip the saints with? Are you following me? 
Okay, now look at Romans 12. Are you there right now? Romans 12. Uh, let's go to verse 4. For just as there are many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of each other. Look at verse 6. Since we have, help me, gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us exercise them according, uh, accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. Okay, let's read it one more time. Since we have gifts that are different according to the grace given to us, let each of us exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. Okay, what made the gifts different? Grace. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says, To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Did you see that? To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Romans 12 says we have gifts that are different according to the grace given to us. Are you with me? What I'm getting at is this. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, what do they equip the saints with? Grace. What does grace do? It gives them different kinds of gifts. See, grace isn't just undeserved favor. Grace is the operational power of God. Grace allows you to do what you couldn't do one second before you got the grace. Are you with me? So think about it like this. The, uh, think about like the apostle, prophet, evangelist, the five-fold ministry. Think of it like a soda fountain. What do they all have in common? All the flavors. They all have soda water in common. Now, how many know that, let's just pretend like you got Coke, you got 7-Up, you got Orange, you got Root Beer... You don't have any Diet Coke. You don't have Diet anything. <laughs> diet, diet Coke's like a false prophet. <laughs> Clouds without rain. <laughs> Wild waves of the sea casting up their foam like shame. <laughs> so you have these five flavors. Now, how many know if you want seven up, you can't come to the root beer fountain? Right? You come to the root beer fountain and you're going to get... Root beer. Okay. Now think about the fivefold ministry. What do they equip the saints with? Grace. But how many know there are colors of grace? Flavors of grace. If you come to the pastor, you're not going to get you're not going to get prophetic grace. You're going to get pastoral grace, and what's that going to do? It's going to give you pastoral what? Gifts. If you come to the apostle, you're not going to get prophetic grace. You're going to get apostolic grace. You're going to get gifts around the apostolic ministry. If you come to the prophet's fountain, you're going to get prophetic grace. Now, how many know that Jesus was the body of Christ? (laughs) That was so deep, you'll have to think about it for a while. When he walked the earth, he was the entire fivefold ministry. When he said, I've been sent by God, he demonstrated what? The apostolic side. Of God, When he went out, he said that he left the 99, he went out after one, he was demonstrating the evangelist. When he saw the, the crowds as sheep with no shepherd, he was demonstrating the pastoral role. When they called him rabbi, he was demonstrating the teacher role, the teacher call in his life. And when he yelled, 
He that has eyes, let him see. And he that has ears, let him hear. How many understand that he was demonstrating what prophets do? They give eyes to see and ears to hear. Are you with me? So the goal of all believers is that they would be trained by the entire fivefold ministry so that they would have grace to do what all the body of Christ can do. People will say to me often like, I feel like you're more of an apostle than you are a prophet. Here's the deal. When I was in Weaverville, when we lived in Weaverville, sometimes you'd buy a piece of property and you, you didn't have, uh, when you got outside the city limits, we didn't have, uh, you, you know, we didn't have city water. So you had to dig a well. Oftentimes you'd buy a piece of property that you dig, a, you try to dig wells on your property and you'd find no water. So what you would do is you would go to your neighbor who had a great well and say to him, could I pay you X amount of dollars a month and run a water pipe from your well to my house so that I could have water? And, and providing everything went well, you had a good relationship with your neighbor, you, and sometimes they would not even charge you, you could have water. And so you come to my house and you turn on the faucet, you wash your car, you do whatever you do with water, and you got water coming out of my fountain. But how many of you know that it's, directly in relation to the relationship I have with my neighbor. <laughs> it's not my well. It's his well. When I, um, I've been with Bill 41 years. I operate as an apostle and a prophet, but I've only ever been called as a prophet. I've never had a personal encounter with God where he called me an apostle. But I can operate fully like an apostle. You know why? Because I got water coming off of a well that isn't on my property. As long as I stay in relationship with Bill, how many know I can operate just like Bill operates? And I, I actually, I know this is be a surprise to all y'all, I operate also in a pastoral gift. Because I have a relationship with Danny Silk, with, with Dan Fairley, and other pastors. And so I, have, I can draw from that grace on their lives. But how many know that well is not in me? is flowing from them to me. And the goal is to actually be in a community where the fivefold ministry is equipping with grace so that we can all move in all the gifts of the Spirit, in all the offices, not because I'm a prophet, but because I receive a prophet's reward. What is the prophet's reward? It is grace. You didn't get what I just said. Let me say, what is happening when we actually prophesy? Have you ever thought about this? Like, what is happening when we prophesy? Sometimes we, we kind of think about prophecy as like, you know, it's like, uh, like the way we prophesy has something to do with how powerful it is. So, uh, in the, you know, I told you I've been with the Pentecostals, then I was with the Jesus people, then I was with the Charismatics. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I love it all. You know, the... the, the the Pentecostals, they, they have a style. It's loud, and it's like, and you have to sound like God took you over. So you change your voice, and you go, Thus says the Lord to you, Shabbayadaba. And you, you talk as if God took you over, and, you know, like a little bit like Orson Welles. The Jesus people, the, I, I love the Jesus people, you know, they really know the Bible very well. And they're like, dude, I felt like the Spirit was moving on me, man. 
And he told me, like, you know, like you're a tie-dyed T-shirt, dude. And I, I love the Jesus people. You know, they were like so cas. You didn't even know, like, you were being prophesied to until it was like over. But I'd like to propose that your delivery doesn't determine the effect of your prophecy. We're going to talk about delivery here maybe this week, but I think delivery, like protocol is important, but it doesn't determine whether or not somebody actually received the prophecy. When people hear a prophecy, how many know what makes it a prophecy is that God's saying it. You can't make it sound like God because you don't even know how God sounds. And I propose that God's first language isn't English or Chinese or Australian. <laughs> okay, wait. Now, how do you know if someone actually received a prophecy? Okay, think about it. Let's pretend for a minute that your words are read. Your human words are read. Whatever, however you speak. Your human words are read. And when you speak, if God is speaking, on the red, there is blue. And the blue is grace. And the blue makes the red happen. No matter how you say it, you can whisper it, you can yell it, you can shabba-da-da-da. The only thing that makes a prophecy a prophecy is that there's blue on the red. The blue makes the red happen. You can sound spiritual, you can even quote verses, but if there's no blue on the red, it's not a prophecy. I'm not even saying it's not good. I'm just saying it's not a prophecy. I remember I told this story all the time. I, I love this particular story. Right up the front here a, 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 in, a, in a conference, a pastor brought up some of his five of his people, his couples. There were ten people, ten couples. I'm sorry, five, ten people, five couples. And he said, hey, can you minister to my, my team, my leadership team? Yeah, sure. So this lady was standing right, she's standing right there. And I start with her and I say to her, I see you, uh, it was a lot, much longer than this, but I see you uh, writing songs and leading worship. And before I can get any, before I can say anything else, she said, that's not me, it's my husband. He's the worship leader. She said, I'm tone deaf. I said, ladies, shut up. <laughs> Do you know what a prophecy is? She said, uh, I guess I don't. I said, a prophecy is a word from the Lord that gives you the ability to do what you couldn't do till one second after you heard the word. So if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, then you receive the prophet's reward, which is the ability to do what you couldn't do one second before you heard the word. She said, all right, do me again. <laughs> I said to her, you know, this is much longer, but I said, you're going to play guitar, write songs, and lead worship. She said, all right, I received that. So about, I don't know, 10, 11 months later, this lady comes up to me right in the back, right over there. She said, do you remember me? No, I'm sorry, I don't. She said, you prophesied to me about 10 months ago in front of the church. I said, I'm sorry, I prophesied over a lot of people. She said, you told me to shut up. <laughs> oh, that narrowed it down to a few people. I remember that. She said, yeah, you told me that I was going to lead worship. Oh, I said, I remember it. You were going to play guitar, lead worship, and write songs. She said, yeah, do you remember what I told you? I said, um, no, I don't. She said, I told you I was tone deaf. I said, oh, I remember that. I was tone deaf. She said, she said, after you prophesied over me, I walked outside. When I got out the double doors, my ears like popped. And she said, suddenly I could discern tones. She's been tone deaf. She was born tone deaf. 
she said, and it's been 10 or 11 months, I forget which. And she said, I've learned to play guitar. I've written several songs and I lead worship in her 500 member Vineyard Church. What happened to her? How many understand she received the blue on the red? Are you with me? I can say to someone, you know, they say, man, I'm just, I just, I just not, a, I'm not a great singer. I'm saying, oh man, you could be a great singer. You know, how many know that's encouraging? That's really good. But if it's God, it's going to have blue on it and it's going to give you the ability to do what I just said you could do. Are you with me? Okay. So, um, so there are, okay, so let's stop for a second. Oh, take a breath. Think for a moment. Okay, so the difference between prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is that it's a gift. You should earnestly desire it. It's for everybody. Every Christian is to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And when the Spirit fell on people, they all prophesied. And God wants to pour out His Spirit on everyone. With me? The gift of prophecy is for encouraging, exhorting, and comforting. Did you notice it wasn't for correction? Did you notice it's always positive? So people are like, oh, you're just trying to say nice things to people. No, God is. He's nicer than you think. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is he's actually contrasting tongues and prophecy. But he makes this statement. When an ungifted or an unbeliever comes in your midst, and you've all prophesied to him, He's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And he falls on his face and declares, certainly God's among you. I used to think that that meant that we were to call out the secret sins of his heart. I called out secret sins for seven years in Weaverville. I never had anybody fall on their face and go, God's among you. I had them run out, scream, yowl. And then Danny's first Sunday with us because Danny Silk took Bill Johnson's place in Weaverville, his very first message was on offense. And he said, if you've ever been offended by anybody here at the end of his message, I want you to go to them right now. I looked around. What a beautiful church. No one was going to anyone. This is a church of a couple hundred people. We all know each other well. And then I looked back at my seat. We were in a theater. And all the way out, all the way down the aisle and out the door and into the street was a line for me. Because of my beautiful prophetic ministry. And for two and a half hours, I listened to people tell me how my negative prophecies affected their heart. I never had one of them. And Ben may remember this because you were probably a teenager about that time. I never heard, not one of them said, your prophecy wasn't accurate. They all told me how calling them out in public and how calling them out in private and how pointing out their problems, how it broke their heart. And I told God, I quit prophecy. I'll never do it again. So people write to me all the time. They're like, you don't even know what prophecy is. You know, they start telling me, like, you have to call out people's sins, the da-da-da-da. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I had seven years of that. I, I know what that builds because the really cool thing about Weaverville is that we are a town of 3,000, and you got to see how your ministry affected people because you live with them. We got to see when you, how, how well, you got to see that when you did deliverance on someone, did they actually get delivered? Because they live four doors down from you. You know if they're still beating their wives and doing stupid stuff. 
you actually can see whether or not your ministry is actually helping people. You're not just getting, you know, that a boys on a Sunday. You actually know the people that you're ministering to. And so that day, I was completely devastated. And I made a vow that I would never prophesy again. And for a year, I didn't. And then the Lord began to talk to me. And he said, why don't you read that passage again? So I read just what I quoted you just a few minutes ago. That if an unbeliever, ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are revealed. I looked up the word secrets. It can actually be translated treasures. I began to realize that the goal, listen, it wasn't a secret. His sin wasn't a secret. But his, but his destiny is a secret. And I began to realize that my goal, the goal of prophecy, according to every other passage, was that I would call out the greatness in people, whether or not they knew the Lord. I would reveal them the secret plan of God when, they were, when, they, when, God, when God called their name before they were born. What did he have in mind? And I began to call out the secret destiny of people. And suddenly I began to realize that when you called out the destiny that was a secret even to them, that they would fall on their face and glorify God. That they would grow in God. And I I remember that this was, um, a a great example was in 1 Samuel chapter 9, where Saul is looking for donkeys. He will someday become King Saul. He's looking for donkeys. And he encounters the prophet. And God, the prophet, God said to the prophet, there's a man looking for donkeys. You're going to anoint him king. And so Saul comes to his house and he says, hey, we're looking for our donkeys. We heard there's a prophet here. Maybe the prophet knows where our donkeys are. And he goes, I'm the prophet. And by the way, the donkeys, what you were looking for, they've already been found. And I want you to stay with me. Listen to this. For tomorrow morning, I'm going to tell you all that's in your heart. For aren't you the one all of Israel's waiting on? He just said, I'm going to tell you what's already in your heart. For aren't you the one all of Israel's waiting on? And Saul goes, I don't know why you're speaking to me like this. And he begins to recount to him, I'm from the smallest family in the smallest tribe. I have no idea why you're talking to me like this. The next morning... And, and Saul, Samuel says, stay with me till tomorrow morning. The next morning, Saul anoints him king. And he says this to him. Listen, I want, you, listen I want you to go down to this place, and there's some prophets coming down from Bethel. We were famous even back then. And they're going to give you some wine and some bread and some stuff, and you're going to go with them. And as you travel with them, you're going to be changed into another man. And the Bible goes on to say that when Saul encountered the prophets, he was changed into another man. Let me just make a couple of points that the New Testament actually points out. First of all, Samuel did not give Saul something he didn't have. He said, I'm going to tell you what's already in your heart. Crazy thing is that Saul did not even know what was in his own heart. Isn't that 1 Corinthians 14? That when an unbeliever, ungifted man enters your congregation and you prophesy over him, the secrets of his heart are revealed. He's not convicted of his sin. He's convicted of his destiny. But here's the part I love. How many know there's a difference between the, the ministry of prophecy and the, and, you know, and the culture? 
prophetic culture. There's a difference between a prophetic culture and prophetic ministry. It says that Saul got prophesied over that he was going to be king. But guess what he had to do? He had to go and count the prophets so he could be changed into another man. Did you notice that, Saul, that Samuel gave the right prophecy to the wrong man? I'm not saying he gave it to the wrong human being. I'm saying he gave it to a man who had to be changed back into the man he was supposed to be so he could actually walk in his calling. I think there are lots of people that have been prophesied over and the prophecies never come to pass because they haven't taken the seed, the prophecy, the word, the, the, the word for word in the, in the Greek is sperma. How many understand when God speaks, he releases the sperm of God into you. Something's being, Christ is being formed in you. Are you with me? But how many know that you have to take that seed and you have to put it in ground. You have to cultivate the ground. You have to water the ground. You have to put it in sunlight. Like you have to give that seed the right elements for it to grow in your life. And so I believe that there's prophetic ministry, which is good. But unless you have a prophetic culture, the seed doesn't have what it needs to germinate and grow. And I think that God wants prophets to develop not just the gift of prophecy but he, and, and release the, the grace for prophecy, but I think He wants us to create prophetic communities where people can counter, encounter the prophets and be changed into the person they need to be so the prophetic work can come to pass in their life. Are you with me? Okay. Um, I, I want to talk about the three dimensions of a prophet. Number one, there's the gift of... Number one, they're a gift of Christ. Remember Ephesians chapter 4, that it says, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, when we're talking about the gift of prophecy, over here, it's a gift of what? The Holy Spirit. How many of you know that the office of a prophet is not the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's a gift of Christ? Are you with me? And so, the prophet is a gift to the church. They should be treated as a gift from Jesus himself. Number two, the prophet is a call. It describes the identity of the one who's called to be a prophet. Being a prophet is first something you are and then something you do. Number three, the office of a prophet describes the governing responsibility of a prophet. The prophet is part of the government of God and therefore has responsibility to help Lead people. This dimension is where the prophet receives his or her mantle. Okay. Um, how do I know if I'm a prophet? Well, first of all, you have to have favor with God and favor with man. <laughs> okay? So I know lots of people like, have, they come to me all the time, come to Dana, we have this conversation. They go, I'm a prophet, but my pastor doesn't acknowledge it. Okay. Well, you can be a gift. You can even have the call. But you don't have the office until you have favor with God and favor with man. It says that Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus grew in favor with God and man. How many know, if you are anointed, well, let me say this too. It also takes a public, a private, if you will, commissioning and a public commissioning. If you have a private commissioning, meaning the Lord called you to be a prophet, you know, he came into my room. He, you have the bathtub story like I have. You have some kind of story where God calls you to be a prophet. How many of you know, until God tells your leadership, you ain't one? You're like, well, well, let me say it more clearly. You have not been commissioned to actually have an office until people recognize the call on your life. 
It, here's the, the greatest way, the best way to make sure it never happens is to come out of the wilderness and tell everyone you're a prophet. <laughs> it's so quiet in here. <laughs> so, um, uh, just think about this. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, Samuel anoints David as king. The worst possible thing that could happen is for David to come out and say, I've been anointed king, because how many of you know they already have a king? And it isn't for 14 years before David becomes king. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Judah anoints David king. And then a few years later, Israel anoints Judah king. My point is, is that I, one of the greatest mistakes I see among prophets is they have a personal encounter, but they, but they don't wait for a public commissioning. And because of the way they handle their personal encounter publicly, did you hear what I said? Because of the way they handle their personal commissioning publicly, they never get commissioned because everybody's afraid of them. And so it's really important that you wait. And by the way, that uh, favor of God thing is in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, where it says, Jesus kept increasing wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. Think about this. Joseph has a dream that he's going to be great. <laughs> and that his brothers are going to serve him, and his mother and father is going to serve him. What's the mistake Joseph made? He told them. He knows his brothers are jealous on top of that. I'd, pro I'd propose that Joseph wasn't the wisest person in the world when he was a teenager. <laughs> Comes out of the dream, he's like, I dreamed about you guys last night. I know how much you guys hate me, and I just want to tell you, this will help. <laughs> last night I dreamt that all of you guys were bowing down to me. And then the next night he has another dream. His mom and dad bowing down to him. He says, hey, mom and dad, that had another dream. I know you love my dreams. You guys were also bowing down to me. What happens when you have a private commissioning and you decide to make it public? You usually end up in prison. A whole bunch of prophets running around in prison, like my pastor doesn't acknowledge me, my leaders don't acknowledge me, like I had three, you know, four blue angels flew over me, and you know, five people commissioned me. It's like, but your leaders have it. Now, I know where the questions are going to happen today. <laughs> People are like, but my, my pastor doesn't believe in prophets. My leaders don't believe in prophets. What do I do then? Well, that's a non-profit corporation, isn't it? You're in a non-profit corporation. These are probably where we get some of the most questions. Like, what do I do about this? Uh, and, and, this then, and that is one of the most generic questions we get, is like, what do I do? But my leaders don't accept prophets. It's not that they don't accept me, it's they don't accept any prophets. What do I do about that? Well, I think that there's, that's so personal. Like, it depends on what God's called you. Has God called you to stay there? You, you know, we said this yesterday, but maybe in a different context. You know, Daniel was never called a prophet when he was alive. He was only called a prophet after he died. Um, it's interesting to me that Daniel was actually called the chief magician. I, I said to a group of leaders the other day, I don't think Daniel would be, could be an elder in any of our churches. And I always think it's kind of funny, like he doesn't want to eat the king's food, so he eats vegetables only. Like da Daniel's so righteous, he doesn't eat the king's food, he only eats vegetables. 
But then he call, he's called by the name of his uh, God, the king's God, Belshazzar, and his title is Chief of the Magicians. I'm like, uh, if I'm him, I'm like, eat the vegetables and ditch the title. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So, uh, I, I earnestly think that if Daniel was alive today as a Christian and was like, let's say, I, I don't want to, whatever country he was working in, he was working with a, a wicked king and everybody knew the king was wicked. Uh, my point is, is that Daniel felt that he was, that it was okay with God for him to take on that name and take on that title although he remained dedicated to God and opened his window three times a day and prayed towards Jerusalem and acted totally in character and nature as a follower of God, although his title and his name would depict something else. I don't know if very many people in 21st century would be accepted by the church if you felt God told you to do that. I know... President Trump showed up at a friend of mine's church and just spontaneously showed up, called an hour and a half before he got there and said, I'm going to be in your service. And this is right before he won the presidency and then showed up six months after he was president and they lost two thirds of their church because they prayed for their president. I don't think people get it. I don't, I wouldn't care if it was President Obama President Bush, President Clinton, if Hillary Clinton would have become president and came to my church, or if it was Donald Trump. I am ordered by God to honor and pray for my leader. I care who it is. I don't care if I agree with them or I don't agree with them. How many understand? Love is not an agreement. It's a commandment. And part of what we're doing as prophets is teaching the body of Christ how to actually relate to kings. Because I minister to some king, some leader in the world, who doesn't know God, doesn't mean I agree with anything they do. And how are they going to change if they never get exposed to light? Scooby-Doo's, man. People are stupid. I just have a couple of minutes left, but let me say this. So it's like, what do I do if my pastor doesn't accept me? Well, that's really big, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why there's so many answers to that question. And, and, and if I was talking to you, I might even use a different one. First of all, I feel like prophets need covering. One thing I think that is worse for prophets is to isolate themselves. And there are so many prophets, it's like, my pastor doesn't accept me, so they literally don't go to church unless they have a prophetic word. And it's usually not positive. It's usually about them being rejected. And so I feel like prophets need to be in community because they get really weird when they're not in community. So, you know, the question would be, like, your, your pastor doesn't accept prophecy, and you're like, okay, but I... I grew up in that church. Like, I love these people. I feel my ministry's there. Okay, then you're going to have to realize that you're going to need, first of all, another group of people to become accountable to. Because if your pastor doesn't believe in prophets, you need accountability for your gift and especially for your office. So you being connected to someone who you can't even talk to 
about prophecy, unless they want to say, hey, you can't give prophetic words in our church, that's, that's a problem. Secondly, I would say that if you're in right standing with God and you're mature and you have good character and you've created accountability, accountability team specifically to guide your character and your prophetic gift, then I think that having a, having a, a gift that operates outside of the church is wonderful. And people say to me all the time, like, my pastor won't let me be on the prophetic team. I'm like, how often does a prophetic team prophesy? Two hours a week? How about the rest of, the, of life? And who needs prophecy the most? The people who are over-prophesied to? Or the world? So I'm saying, I, I think that God is developing another structure because I think there are a lot of religious structures and I use the word religion in a good way, that just do not understand prophetic people. And we have to develop a prophetic community all over the world, which is part of what these guys are doing, so that we can create a place for accountability for people who are in good standing, not weird, strange people who just want to rebel against their, their pastor in the name of I'm a prophet. And I think there needs to be a place where those people could come in, have accountability, have understanding, and be sent out into the world and actually be a prophet to some dimension, to some demographic, to some... Or am I making any sense? So um, anyway, we'll, we'll probably answer those uh, questions later. Um, all right. Why don't you stand up? We're going to break for lunch. We're going to do a second session. We're going to talk more about this. And we're going to let you ask questions. That'll be very interesting. Sessions. Okay. You guys all right? sat for a long time, an hour and 20 minutes. Prophetic people sat for an hour and 20 minutes and listened to somebody talk. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. You're like, why do I feel so antsy? Because you're prophetic. You're like, I knew what you were going to say before you said it. I know that's what makes teaching prophetic people tough. So Lord, we bless this day. I pray God that you would open up the hearts of your people to actually understand their calling so they can move powerfully in their purpose, in their identity, and in your anointing. In Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. God bless. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.